clarify something. I know some people may have misunderstood what I said a moment ago. When I said, to me, those are the most important ministries, you have to understand I look at the whole. I'm not talking about that one thing's not more, any more important in the sense that if this room doesn't get cleaned, I promise you, nobody will want to come here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in our future right now, if there's one thing we need is to reproduce ourselves. And it starts with discipleship. It is a biblical principle. Look at uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 sometime. That is the Great Commission. There is nothing that a church is to do more important than fulfill the Great Commission. Outside of that, everything else works out. For instance, we don't need buildings if that's the case. I've told the gentleman already, if we don't get the money to build that building, I'm about ready to move in anyway. I don't care what it looks like. Because sooner or later, sooner or later, somebody's going to get a little bit tired of it looking bad and give something to get it done. And God ain't going to look bad anyway. We don't need that building. We don't need this one. What we do need is to fulfill that great commission found in Matthew chapter 28. That's what we need to do. And if we'll do that, all the rest of it falls into place. It just all falls into place. And so that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying to put a premium on, well, you nursery workers aren't valuable. Absolutely you are. I, I've sat in these services a few times. I wish I could send some of you adults out because you're so disruptive. Go to the nursery, young man or old man. Can you imagine that? You know how they do that, all those preachers? You know, they're like, a little young man, sit up over there. Can you imagine if I did that to you adults? You know why preachers don't, don't you? Because you're big enough to get up, walk out, and drive away. The other ones aren't. And they just use them sometimes as examples to try to get you to sit up. That's what they're doing half the time. You guys are, wake up. Young man, get up now. Make sure you sit up straight. And you're going, oh, okay. You don't, you're not you, right? Never, right? Okay. Me neither. I never did that either. All right, Exodus chapter 14. <laughs> Come on, we've all been there. I like this passage here, Exodus chapter 14. We're going to talk about victory, growing in the Christian life and living victoriously. And I'll tell you what, uh, victory is something that I like. I don't know about you, but I hate losing. I don't like to lose. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I, I think that we are... We're teaching our children, in a sense, a very damnable doctrine. And I say doctrine, I'm not talking about biblical. Well, I think it is biblical, too. Jesus Christ, uh, he never really uh, supported losers either. He wanted winners. You look in the Bible sometime. When Jesus got around, uh, it was things happening. Good things were happening. You look at that Old Testament. He wanted his people to be victorious. He never wanted them to be losers. He always wanted them to win. Now, listen, we live in a culture today that says winning is not, is not important. Well, you go ahead into the corporate world and you ask them if it's important. Go ahead, send your kids out to a job, at, a job interview and let the kids say, well, you know what, my performance isn't that important and whether I do a great job or a good job really doesn't matter as long as it's good enough. The employer's going to go, are you kidding me? I want the best out of you. Yeah, but I, I just think that it's, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, you can't play the game with all your heart unless you want to win. How are you supposed to play with all your heart if you don't want to win? I don't care if I win. I gave my best. That's, that's, that doesn't even make sense. That's what they call an oxymoron. Closer to moron, but anyway. It's, 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 and that doesn't make any sense. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to be victorious. God doesn't want us to be content with mediocrity. He doesn't want us to be content with just getting by. He wants us to be victorious in the Christian life. And, and you know what? I, I think that, again, we're, we're, we're creating a culture 
of, of people that are content with just existing. God doesn't want us to exist. He wants us to excel. He wants us to be victorious. He wants you to be a winner. Because He promised you victory already. You already have the victory if you have Christ. We're going to note that here in a little bit. But I just want to encourage you, don't settle for defeat. Don't settle for it. Don't ever settle for defeat. And I'm talking about in your Christian life too. You say, my prayer life's horrible. Well, that's nobody's fault but your own. Don't settle for that. Don't accept that as normal. That is not normal. It's abnormal in the Christian life. That's all. I'm just telling you, none of that. My marriage isn't what it ought to be. That is abnormal in the Christian life. Well, uh, that's just the way it is. No, it isn't. It's the way you permit it to be. It doesn't have to be that way. God gives you victory. And I don't say that to discourage somebody that's going through a tough time. I'm telling you, if you're going through a tough time, you can rest assured things are going to look up. Because God does want you to experience victory in your life. Oh, I'm not saying all the problems will go away, but in your heart, you'll see the sun instead of the darkness and the clouds if you'll simply claim His promises. It's a wonderful thing to live in a victorious state. And tonight, I just want to talk a little bit about living victoriously and see where we can get to. But look at this passage in Exodus chapter 14. It's so wonderful. It says in chapter 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before... Um, oh, I need to turn that on, don't I? Sorry about that. There we go. It's not working. There's that working. Yeah. Victory. All right, here we go. <clears throat> And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before, between Migdal and the sea over against Belzephon, before, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. You gotta, I, I want to apologize, first of all. I've been working on my computer for a lot of hours straight. I'm just going to tell you the honest truth. And when I do that, I can't see as well. How many, how many of you have experienced that? When you look at your computer all day, it seems like your eyes just are blurry then or something? Yeah, not only is my mind blurry today, but so is my eyes. Now, we'll do the best we can reading, but it just doesn't look the same for some reason. And uh, I may have to skip a word or two because I miss them accidentally. <laughs> Number three. <clears throat> Here we go. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon uh, Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel uh, went out with a high hand. And the Egyptians pursued after them. And, and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and, uh, overtook them, encamping by the sea beside, before Baal-Zephon. Pot. That is one interesting word. I hear 
Pahirah. And when Pharaoh, verse 10, drew nigh... By the way, I, I did not sin against God by not saying that word, folks. I really didn't. I'm sorry if I broke your, uh, your, your, your confidence in me. But, uh, like I said, I'm having a hard time looking and reading today. But anyway, verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt, with, uh, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it hath been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Boy, do I want to preach a message right now on the carousel dinner theater. Right there, do I want to start preaching on that? But I'm not going to because I know that I'm supposed to preach this. But boy, something in me just wants to start talking about going back to Egypt. But anyway, let's just go ahead and keep going. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. There's a message there, too. Man, that's good. I've been getting, I, I, I've been working with the, uh, the adult Bible class leaders this week, and I, I got some of those lessons in. And some of those lessons are good that you're being taught. We're letting, you know, we've had the, uh, Mr. Hamilton had the adult leaders writing their own lessons here for the last few weeks, and boy, some of those lessons were good. And I want to encourage you adult leaders to find your messages out of the Word. I want you to find them out of this book as you read and study. I want you to find things that are yours, not someone else's. I want to encourage you to do that. Because what I'm saying is this. I want it to be yours. When I read through there and I see those and I go, wow, that's a great passage. We could really preach that. You could too. I know you can. And I want to encourage you to spend the time to do that. I looked at those lessons. Most of them were excellent. And I want to encourage you and tell you I appreciate that. You're spending time and I want you to continue to do so. <clears throat> now, notice what it says here. It's talking about the Egyptians and how the Israelites have fled. Now the Egyptians are kind of upset because they let them go. Have you ever changed your mind? I mean, you, you did something and you thought, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I've done that so many times. I think we all do. You know, uh, you, know you sold something and then you realize later, I wish I wouldn't have sold that. I wish I could buy it back it, for the same price I just sold it. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? But that's how it works sometimes. And in this case, that's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh said, you know what, I, I, I wish we'd have never let him go. So what's he do? He pursues after him. And when he pursues after him, he takes 600 of his chosen chariots and all of the best of his, his, his I mean, some of the best fighters and uh, most uh, prepared men of battle. And I mean, he chased and went after them. And boy, I'll tell you what, got him between a rock and a hard place. Because now there's that Red Sea and, and there's the army of uh, Egypt and... It looked like all was lost. 
The people started complaining and they started whining. Why in the world did you bring us out in the wilderness just to die? It would have been better for us to stay under the bondage and the slavery of the Egyptians. We would have been better off because at least we'd be, we, we might be eating the leeks and we might be eating all those nasty little vegetables and we'd have to be putting bricks together without straw, but at least we'd be alive and or we'd be able to see our children grow up under bondage and enslaved. At least we'd be able to see that happen. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, but the early American... Uh, 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 the, the men that founded this country, they said, give me what? Liberty or give me what? That's right. I think we've lost that in America. We'd rather be enslaved and in bondage often instead of be free. Because we're not willing to pay the price that it costs to be free today. Because all that matters to us is the comfort and ease of America. And that's what was going on with these Egyptians. They're looking at their life, and when they get out there, they're excited about this new venture. But boy, all of a sudden, when they realized it was going to cost them something, they said, why don't we just go back to what we had? It's better than this. And boy, we would rather be enslaved than have to give our lives. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing worth having is worth anything unless it's worth dying for. I'm going to tell you something. If we're not willing to give our life for something, then it is probably not worth a whole lot. Listen, I wouldn't give you a penny. I wouldn't. I, if somebody came to me today and said, give me the keys to your car or I'll kill you, I'd say, here's the keys. Take them. we got a problem again, don't we? All right. I'd give it to them. I wouldn't care. You have my car. you say, well, that's a nice car. You could have it. Okay, I know exactly how to get it from you, don't I, preacher? Absolutely you do. You know exactly how to do that. I'm going to tell you something. That don't mean nothing to me. That don't mean nothing. You come to me and say, I want all the money in your wallet, or I'll kill you. <laughs> you can have it. There were three of us yesterday. The staff, we, we, we all went up to a church to look over the, the buildings and to get some ideas of how to lay some things out. We're driving up the street, and all of a sudden, Mr. Hamilton, he's driving. He looks back and says, anybody got any cash for the tolls? We all looked at each other. I said, well, I got ten bucks, man. That's all I got. Now, fortunately, Brother Steve Cavanaugh had a $100 bill on him. <clears throat> no, he didn't. I'm joking. He didn't. But anyway, we all looked around. We didn't have any money. Start scraping up all of our little money we had, all our cash. They wouldn't even take. They wouldn't even take a debit card at one of the things. We had to use all the money we had, and we got there, and we realized we cannot get back homeless. We stop at an ATM. Now listen, you want my money, and you stick a gun in my face, say, "Give me all your money, or I'll kill you." I'd say, "Take whatever you can get. Ain't a whole lot there, but it's yours, because it don't mean nothing to me." But hold on a second. You threaten my wife and family. We might have a real problem. That's a different ballgame. Because, see, that means something to me. That means something to me. What means something to you today? You know, there are people that will die over a dollar. And yet the most important things in life they'll throw away. There are people that will die for drugs and alcohol. They'll throw their life away for it. Be consumed by it. Throw their wife, their family, right out on the street over a drink or some drugs. There's men that will throw their wife and their family away for fulfilling the lust of the flesh. 
and women that would do the same. How sad that is. These men, wait a second, can I call them that? We'd rather watch our children grow up in bondage than to be out here and have to fight. I don't know about you, but I've got a real problem with that. I mean, I just got done watching the miracles of Jesus Christ. I saw God open up the heavens. I've watched Him turn water into blood. I mean, I, I saw all those miracles that rained, rained fire. I saw all those miracles back in Egypt. And now here I sit or stand over here against the Red Sea and the armies of, of Egypt behind me, and I say, hey, I'd rather be in bondage, and watch my children grow up enslaved by those people, abused by those people, instead of die out here fighting for what I believe is freedom. What's wrong with that? I hope I don't, I hope I don't uh, offend any of you gentlemen tonight. But I'm going to tell you something. You say whatever you want about illegal aliens, but at least they're willing to die to come to what they consider freedom. They'll give their life to protect or to provide for their families back there in Mexico. Now listen, you may not agree with the, the political stance, but you better, you better respect that kind of devotion and love for family. I wish we had people in America that were willing to give their lives for things that they love that much, like liberty and freedom and the Word of God in the house of God, in the things of God, in the lost men and women. Liberty, freedom, victory. These are all things that we can have today. They're all ours. Already ours. And what we're going to learn here, even as we see in the book of Exodus, that the Lord already said, the victory is yours. Just stand still. Hold your peace and watch me work. I want you to know that's what God will do in your life. You know what? It's amazing. Notice, I, I thought it was interesting. He says, you shall hold your peace. I will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Man, we always got to throw our two cents in when it comes to God and His work. Let God do His work. Just be still and know that I am God, He says. He already has guaranteed the victory. We, the victorious life is a life of victory over sin. A victory of life over self. It's a victory of life over Satan. You know, we go through life defeated, don't we? I just can't get victory over this sin in my life. I just seem to be bound completely and totally by this sin in my life. And the whole time we're talking about it, and never once are we waiting on Him. We've we got to be patient and wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen thine heart. Jesus Christ is the victory. We need only allow Him to have rule in our life. It's a blessing to me to know that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to have victory. Everybody knows that in heaven there will be no sin. I can't wait to get to heaven because then I won't have to deal with all this temptation. Well, you may have to deal with temptation, but you can get victory over it. You, you've already got the victory. 
That attitude, that sour spirit, you got victory over it. That bitterness, you got victory over it. That unforgiveness, you've already got victory over it. That, that, uh, um, that illness that causes you to be so depressed and can't see past your own little world, you can have victory over that. That marriage that's struggling, hard to survive, you can have victory in that. Those children that are going wayward and you're struggling and you're just having a hard time dealing with it, you can have victory with that. I mean, there's not one thing in this life as a believer we, don't, we can't have victory over. Victory is within us. It's already there. It's Jesus Christ. The Bible says over in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 10, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That's an amazing passage. In 5.10 again, he said, For if we were enemies, when we were enemies, and we were, by the way, every man, every boy, every girl, every woman is an enemy of God before they come to Christ as Savior. But when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Reconciled means to be brought into friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity, made consistent or adjusted. So brought into friendship. Where once we were standing on the outside looking in, now we are brought into fellowship and friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes place simply because we've been reconciled by the death of His Son. His death makes possible my fellowship with God. Without His death, I have no fellowship with God. Hold on though, he goes on to say this. He says, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So what I'm seeing then is, and what seems to make sense is, because He lives, so do we. His life is what gives us life. Because He rose again, because He lives, we have life. And by the way, what kind of life did Jesus Christ have after He rose from the dead? Victorious life. What kind of life did He have even while He lived? Victorious life. Listen, if that's the case, I live because He lives, then His life is victory. And He lives in me. So I have victory within me. It's a wonderful thing, again, to think that we can have victory. And I want to talk about victory. And in the coming weeks, we will. Victory is a wonderful thing. Let me ask you something. When you play ball, do you want to win? You do, don't you? Why? Makes you feel good. An honest man. Sure beats losing, doesn't it? I want you to ask yourself, do I feel defeated today or do I feel like a victor? I mean, honestly. I didn't say, do you feel tired? You can be real tired and still be victorious. I mean, you can be wore out, man. I mean, you're burning the candle at both ends, and you can feel wore out, wore down. But do you feel victorious? I mean, is Christ real in your life? I mean, did you wake up today excited about facing the day because you knew that He was there? I mean, could you, did you find yourself wanting to run to prayer today? 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, you woke up, it's hectic, it was crazy this morning. Maybe your alarm didn't go off till late. And you're just like, oh no, you know, and you're running off. And was there something that just said, man, I have got to get with Jesus. I can't take it. I've got to get with Him. Man, I, I, I just, isn't that the greatest? And you, and you just find yourself a place by yourself. Get alone with the Lord. And all of a sudden you say, man, I know things are crazy and they're hectic and everything's going haywire. Man, I feel good. It's okay. That's, that's, that's what the victorious life is like. I mean, I don't know. I've I got a million verses and i got a bunch of stuff to share, but that's the victorious life. See, the victorious life isn't based on how He treats me. Although I really want Him to be kind to me and love me and show acceptance to me, and that's not what determines whether or not I have a victorious Christian life. See, whether you think I'm a good preacher or not, it doesn't matter. That's not what makes me, uh, that's not what determines whether I have a victorious Christian life. Actually, the truth is the size of this church doesn't determine whether I have a victorious Christian life. It, do, it doesn't decide that. My circumstances don't determine whether or not I have a victorious Christian life. But I can tell you one thing. I know when I have it, and I know when I don't. I know when I'm going through life, and I feel like just hanging my head and going, man, things are just not working out. And before it's over, my chin is dragging the ground. That's not what God wants for us. I'm not saying that we don't have heartaches. And I'm not saying that life doesn't get difficult. But what I'm saying is there's someone in my life that brings me hope and help. And then I can face the day with confidence that I am not alone. Victory. Victorious Christian living. We'll look at the verses and we'll dig into it all next week. But I don't know. I, I get tired. I don't know about you, but I, I've grown weary. It wasn't that long ago. Well, it was a number of years ago now. But I remember years ago, Joshua had broken his nose at camp. And he had he'd gotten that mad because a boy was pushing people around and he decided to hit this kid in the back. Well, when he did, this guy was like 6'1", 220. And when he did, the kid slid down his back, and his butt was on his head, and went straight in the ground. I knew right when I saw it, we got problems. So then he sat there, and I remember Steve White was there that year. Brother Steve, you know, he's out there in uh, uh, West Virginia, near Ravenswood area. And, and Steve White was sitting at the table. He was sitting across from me and Joshua, and and I, I was talking to Josh. I said, Josh, man, I said, how's that nose doing? I mean, it, it was bad. It was bleed, it bled real bad and everything. And, and he's like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I said, man, I don't know, man. That thing looks like it might be broken to me. And uh, I remember we, we, I looked across to Steve and I said, hey, Brother Steve, you've had a number of broken noses. I said, what do you think? You think that's a broken nose? He went, well, he goes, what, you mean outside the fact that his nose is like sticking on the side of his face or just, you know, I said, yeah, it's broken, and he? he goes, absolutely broken. Now, I remember, I remember we worked hard to, to get him to the flight place, and, and I was able to take him to this one place and one hospital. And, and while they are there, they were going to have to do a horrible, horrible procedure. Um, at least it's hard for me as a parent. And let me just describe it for you ladies. But anyway, um, 
Okay, I won't describe it in detail. But let's just put it this way. They're going to put him into twilight sleep. They're going to stick this metal piece up his nose and straighten his nose up with it. Literally, you could hear it crunching. And he's in what's twilight sleep. He goes, oh, oh. And I'm like, did he say, he feel that? No, he don't feel that. I said, okay, good. He goes, well, he may feel it now, but he'll never remember it. That's what they actually told me. And I said, okay, good. So anyway, so anyway, and he doesn't remember it, does he? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And of course, they did such a fabulous job on his nose. Look at it later. But anyway, the, the, the fact is, <laughs> the fact is, I don't care what you do. When you break your nose, and I, I've had a broken nose too, but, but when you break your nose, uh, it, it just doesn't ever go back right. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. But anyway, nonetheless... I remember, and I'm not joking now, and you've got to understand here, I'm, I'm just sharing my heart a little bit. I'm being a little bit transparent. I remember trying to pray for my son. And I'm going to be honest with you. My prayer life had gone in the... Yeah, I didn't want to say that. I'm preaching. In the restroom. And, and so, I'm not, and I'm not joking. I, I was. I had gotten extremely busy in my life a little bit. I had gotten to the place where I just... I was going through the mo- I was doing everything I'm supposed to do. I- oh, I was still praying, but I wasn't fervently praying. I wasn't really spending the time I should pray. And, oh, I was going through the motions, had the prayer list, you know, the whole deal. But I just wasn't, I really, my relationship with the Lord had suffered. It had waxed. It had waned. And, and I know maybe I shouldn't be telling you this as your pastor, but that's where I had gotten in my life. And I remember, I remember, I remember calling my wife. After I dropped Josh off, I took him, I, at the time I was staying in a room, and I took him to my room and let him relax and sleep because the doctor said he needed to sleep that off. And I let him do that. And I left that place, left him in the room. I went to, uh, by myself, got by myself. And while I was gone, I called my wife. And I said, honey, I said I felt so lonely today. I felt like I could not get a hold of God on behalf of my son. I've gotten so backslidden and so away from God in my heart. And I said, I've, that's got to change and it's going to. And I felt so helpless and hopeless. Here he was. I'm going, God, if you'll just help him, I promise I'll... And then I stopped and said, Lord, it's kind of late now, isn't it? I should have had that in order before this happened. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry, but if it'll please you to take care of him and meet the need, I'll be happy and thankful. But Lord, I know where that I've wronged and I shouldn't be where I'm at. Boy, that hurt me. And it really hurt me, not because of me, but because I knew when my son needed me most, I didn't have God's ear in my heart. I just could tell that he wasn't hearing me like he had in the past. Well, I'll tell you what, that broke my heart. So much so, not only did I confess to the Lord, but I called my wife and confessed to her. You know when you're living victoriously. You know. And then you know when you're living defeated. When you know God's ear is bent toward your prayers, when you are confident that no matter what, you know He's in control in your life. That's victorious. 
It doesn't matter whether you just got horrible news about your health or a tragedy struck in your life. Just knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is there. He's not only in you, but He's real in your life. And you know that you have His ear and that He's concerned about you, not just from a biblical perspective, but from a real perspective, a daily perspective. That I know He's there and I just know I can run to Him and crawl up in His lap and find comfort help and strength, wisdom and answers. That's victorious Christian living. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just sharing my heart. I've been there where I'm not what I belong or what I ought to be. I don't want to be there. I like the victory life much better than the defeated life. And our lives go like this a little bit, don't they? But we just got to be aware of them all the time. Be very sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Be in the Word so God can reveal those shortcomings to us. I made a vow to myself that I'd always be there for my children. Oh, I would have been there physically, but I wanted to be there spiritually. I never wanted to think that my son would be on his own again in an operating room without God's ear hearing my prayers. And I thank God that he spoke to my heart. He took care of my son and he did fine. And I thank God for his long suffering, his mercy and his grace. But I don't want to be in that spot again. And I know you don't either, ever in your life. So make sure your walk and your life with the Lord is close. And that joy abounds even in the midst of chaos and confusion. He's good. Father, we thank you.